Welcome to the WP Tonic Podcast, brought to you by WPTonic.com, a WordPress maintenance and support service for business owners. We talk to the leaders in WordPress, business, and online marketing communities, bringing you insights on how to grow your business and achieve success. Welcome back, folks, to the WP Tonic Roundtable Show every Friday at 8.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. We have a roundtable show about WordPress and the latest web and technology news stories of the week. And normally I can rustle up a a reasonably much better panel than myself, and I've achieved that this week, and I think it's going to be a lively discussion. Um, We're going to start off... um, well, I think I'll talk about one of my great sponsors first. Yeah, let's get that out of the way first. So, so um, one of my great sponsors is Kinster Hosting. What is Kinster? They provide specialised WordPress hosting, especially if you've got a membership, WooCommerce, or a site that needs a little bit of hump to it. And we host the WP Tonic website with them. We've been delighted with their hosting. They've They've been delighted with us, so they've decided to be our major sponsor in 2019, which is rapidly coming, isn't it, folks? Shock horror. And what do you get with Kinsta? You get really fantastic um, Google Cloud-based hosting, but with the 24-7 support that you also need, not only for yourself, but for your clients. Plus, you get one staging site, one-click backup, latest versions of PHP, all the things you, a developer, WordPress consultant, or power user are looking for. So I suggest you go over to kinster.com and you find out more about them, and you Twitter them and say you heard about them on WP Tonic. So let's get into the first story. Classic editor plugin. Um my, my oh sorry, classic editor plugin may be included with 5.0 update support window set to end in 2021. Um, who wants to start off with that one? Come Lord. on, no, Come Lord, on. When I'll start on. with this one. Oh, God, Spencer. You put your voice up. This is, we've been waiting for Morton to come back every week that we keep yeah. talking about this countdown <laughs> I, to I zero. I will talk about it, but I will not taint you people with my opinion until I've heard yours. <laughs> okay. Last week, we need one of those like TV show flashbacks. In last week's episode, Spencer went on a rant saying, when will the day ever come that this effing thing comes out so we can get on with our lives? And then he said, wish Morton was here so he could tell us his opinion on what's really going on. But bottom line is, there's whatever the shitstorm is going to be, the fact that there's all these like apologetic half-truths, whenever I go to WP Tavern, I just go right down to the comments, and that's where you learn everything you need to know. And in my opinion, it's more of the like, let's hedge our bets. I love the Trojan horse theory. I think it holds merit. I see a jetpack 2.0 kind of scenario going on. Do as we say, not as we do, because once this thing's in here and you guys all follow us in, Bam, the gates slam shut, and you're never going backwards. And too bad for you because it's an automatic gig. Morton, what do you think? I, I, I have not heard everyone's opinion yet. Okay. <laughs> now, now, I'm going to follow that up, Spencer. They are uh, Automatic does have a plan to sell Gutenberg blocks, right? That's gonna be part of their monetization strategy. Uh, I see this classic editor being bundled as them realizing we're having to launch this on top of the holidays and we this is probably going to break a percentage of you know 32% of the internet and we don't want to have that hanging over our heads so this is our contingency plan and, until they get a few more things ironed out because i i don't think that they've gotten through that bug list not by a long shot so this is just like you said i think it's hedging their bets go on chris what do you reckon I'm glad they're, you know, scenario planning for things to not go well. I recently had a conversation with Bluehost where they were t- they were talking about how they're going to not do the automatic update, uh, especially for WooCommerce stores. That, um, would, that would be very sensible, wouldn't it, Chris? Like for, for some of these, they won't do that. Some right. of the web hosts do automatic updates, but in this case, at least I heard from Bluehost, they're not going to do that. But the um, yeah, I think it's good to have a backup plan. I like the long-range perspective of the 
classic editor plugin being supported to 2021. I mean, that's like a long timeline. So yeah, this release is coming hot and heavy, but we've still got like three years or whatever to make the transition. So it's <laughs> moving fast and slow at the same time. So that's, yeah. that's it. That's it. Thanks for that, Chris. Bolton, what do you what do you reckon, Bolton? How do you reckon, Jonathan? Man in the book. <laughs> <laughs> what do I reckon? I reckon it's a bit of a shit fest myself. It's um, it's gonna happen, you know. Um all the conversations we've had about this. Um, and on we go on the Merry Shit <clears throat> WordPress. There we go. And- uh if you scroll down to the comments section in the original make post where this announcement was made the very first comment says and it's from pascal bircher birchler birchler um he says according to the post commas guideline the word we should be avoided in post unless it is made very clear which group is speaking so who is we in this case the reference is to the fact that it says at the top of the post, uh, blah, 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 blah. We recognize that there will be a transition period and then blah, blah, blah. So therefore, we have decided to make this thing, right? <clears throat> what you're seeing here is the first true admission that the entire Gutenberg project is being run by a group of people who do not actually talk to the community. This decision was made in a back room somewhere by a group of people that has not been named by in a complete vacuum without any input from the community at all. Um, There are several different tickets and track that address this issue in different ways, all of which have been ignored or just closed. This is the antithesis of how open source works. Um, This is uh, probably the most um, egregious example of someone unknown who who has decided that they are now in control of this project and make decisions on behalf of the community and then actually present those decisions as community decisions, which is extremely problematic because it sets a precedence that will be followed by everyone else moving forward. Um, so, the, I mean, if you, if you go through that comments section, you'll see that there are two strands of conversations. One is, the question whether or not uh, the classic editor sh- plugin should be bundled with WordPress, just like Hello, for instance, the junk plugin that has no purpose, um, or Akismet, the commercial plugin from, uh, from Automatic. Um, because if you use WordPress and you're not aware that the, that the classic, plugin, classic plugin exists, then you wouldn't know to install it. right? And this has to do with accessibility and people who don't know. And then comes the question of how do we then how do we then surface this plugin to the people who actually need it? How do we communicate to people who actually need it? Hey, you just got upgraded to this new block editor, but if you can't use it, here's how to downgrade back to the old version. Now, there's a separate tech ticket that's happening um, somewhere else that talks about whether or not there should be a warning at the top of the um, uh, admin panel when you upgrade to uh, 5.0 that says this, that says, hey, you should downgrade. That ticket has been closed because they say there's quote, nowhere to put this message. The most bizarre argument in the history of the web. It's a web page. You can put that fucking message anywhere. I'm sorry, guy who complains when I swear, but this warrants a oh, lot I'm of... sure this so, there's, It's a web page. You can put that message anywhere. As a modal window, at the top of the page, as a, as a page you land on before you land on the admin. They're literally a, an unlimited number of places where you can put this message. The argument, we have nowhere to put the message, is a complete nonsense. Like It could not be less accurate than it, than it is. So, decided by an unknown cadre of people who feel like they are now in control of the WordPress project, bullshit arguments about why it should be happening, no, address, no proper addressing of any questions around why this decision was made over other proposals like an LTS of 4.9.x, or anything else that would be far more rational. Um, No um, admission that this particular strategy is actually the worst possible strategy for the situation because it it enforces a standard where all theme developers and plugin developers now have to ship two versions of, or not two versions, but they have to ship 
each plugin and each theme so that it supports both classic editor and the regular editor. And for people like me who make courses, it means I have to ship two, two versions of my course. One for, oh, you're using block editor and one for, oh, you're using classic editor plugin, which we don't know what will actually be happening. So we'll update this course on like a bi-monthly basis until this happens. On top of that, we have the problem of Gutenberg, the second 5.0 releases, is supposed to move outside the editor and start doing other things. So how on earth is that going to be handled by the classic editor plugin, which explicitly takes away block functionality from WordPress? So if the idea is to move blocks out of the editor and into, say, the customizer anywhere else, if the block editor doesn't exist, then the people who activate the, the classic editor plugin can't get access to those new features, which means classic editor plugin will either have to evolve with Gutenberg, in which case the entire point of this goes away, or we'll have to wait <laughs> to migrate Gutenberg out or the blocks outside of the editor until December 31st, 2021. Both of which are idiotic solutions that do not work. LTS would be the right solution here. No one knows who made the decision. No one had any open discussion about it. This is a blanket decision made by some unknown entity. Bullshit. Dumbest thing in the world. This is not how open source works at all. This is going to just drive more people away from the project. How does, that, how does it even happen that, the, that the, the gates get closed on an open source community that's what going on 13 years and all of a sudden somebody just decides to go, you know, black ops on this whole thing? Because this is... And I've said this so many times now, it's becoming a farce. WordPress is, an, is a grassroots political organization with a flat leadership structure. <clears throat> this type of organization is very easy to take over. You simply say, hey, I'm in charge, give me the keys, and then you can run the whole show on your own. That's exactly what's happening here. This problem is we who work in politics have known this for the past six or seven years. And we've been warning that this would happen at some point. And everyone, uh, everyone who's listened has been like, nah, no, nah, it can't possibly be that bad. This is exactly what happens. Aren't, aren't the automaticians that are doing this like acting as the henchmen because they're paid a salary? Isn't that really what's going on? The ones that are no. doing this are the ones on salary? It's more like Jonestown. There's a oh, group of people who cool. fully believe that this is the right way to go and f- believe that anyone who says that it's not are uh, in some way part of a conspiracy to sabotage. Um, and you can see it very clearly when you have like the core chats where you have parts of the Gutenberg team sitting there saying everything is fine. And then the rest of the core developers are like, stop the boat right now. Like this is <laughs> not going to happen. This is a disaster. And then they're saying, no, no, everything is fine. You're overreacting. And they're like, look at the bug reports. There are literally millions of bugs popping up every day. And they're like, no, no, it's fine. Everything's fine. We'll just iterate. Like there, there's a, disconnect between the people who are working inside the bubble and our people that are working outside but, the bubble. But I'm saying... Can I, interu- can I interrupt, actually? Because wait, uh, I want to just ask a question. If you looked at the people who are drinking the Kool-Aid, yeah. I would venture a bet that most of those have a financial incentive to uh, drink the Kool-Aid because their livelihood is on it, whereas the ones that are speaking the truth are the Emperor's New Clothes kids who have their living outside of the bubble. I don't think so. I think this is, a pro- this is an issue of... Um, anchoring bias and people who have been inside the bubble for too long. So they're not, truly not understanding because they're, they're, uh, the paradigm they've built around their understanding of the world has been so colored by their work that they don't see, the, the, they're, not, they're unable to see the world from the outside. And the reality is every single person who works on this project is very smart, is very good at their job, have the best intentions for the project. The problem with this entire project is it's become so insular that anyone who comes in from the outside and says, hey, there's a problem here, is treated as an interloper who's trying to sabotage something. And I mean, when you look at things that are actually happening in, inside Gutenberg right now, so we are, what, today is the 9th, which means there's 10 days until this official launch is supposed to happen, right? 10 days. 10 days. In those 10 days, just one example. Currently, responsive images inside Gutenberg do not work at all, which means if you upload, like, let's say a 10,000 pixel wide image into WordPress, right? Something outrageously huge. Um, Then you put an image into a post and make it about this big. And then you go in your browser and you start scaling the browser out. If you have a 10,000 pixel wide browser window, you will download the image that's 10,000 pixels wide. Worse than that, if you have an have a browser window that's wider than 1,024 pixels, you will download the 10,000 pixel wide image. 
because due to how Gutenberg has introduced new content widths and how WordPress doesn't have any accommodation for that, and the ticket to fix this problem, which was opened in April of 2017, is still not resolved. That is going to happen to every single site that runs WordPress in the world unless it is fixed. The current ticket, the current ticket was updated this morning and Andrew Oz has been working on this diligently for the past year said, this ticket is now so big we need to split it into five different pull requests and at least two different core tickets just to get this to work properly. And on top of that, no one knows what that would actually look like in themes. Every single theme that has any kind of images need to update their code to match this, which means every theme available for WordPress needs to update to new code that currently doesn't even exist. 10 days to launch. That'll be fine. I think um, I'm going to pass a comment. Right before Black Friday. I'm going to pass a comment on what you just said, and then I'm going to, I've got a question for Chris, actually. Um, I agree with some of the things you said, Morton, but um, I think it's rather naive. I I never considered WordPress to be a truly open source project from day one. Uh, um, I always considered it at best to be a hybrid model. Um, I always consider it to be totally controlled by automatic because of the, of of the of the way it was basically set up. It was never from day one. It was never clear if it was a commercial exercise or open source, a truly open source project. It was always jumbled up, and when when shit hits the fan, this is what you get. Uh, um, secondly, um. I think that that is the core misunderstanding about this. That's was like you said, it's been going on for years and years. But because because of the growth of WordPress and a lot of people were doing quite well out of it, people just didn't bother really asking any difficult questions. And also there there is a little bit of fear that you're going to be excommunicated if you ask any difficult questions especially if you're making your living from wordpress you know you, you make you're employed by linkedin and um linkedin training so you're part of the community but your your salary does your income does not depend um if you get excommunicated from the WordPress um, community, you know, it's not going to be the end of your world. Other people, it would financially cripple them. So they're not going to say anything. Um, What I was going to ask you, Chris, um, you you said at the beginning of this discussion, but what Morton has pointed out, if if you're going to end, are you, you are going to end up having to support two versions of WordPress really. Have you, with your discussions with your technical team, have you worked out how you're going to be dealing with that? We are in that with the new block system, which is the way we're approaching it is if somebody wants to build a custom course template with blocks, we're going to provide the, you know, the, the blocks or the building blocks to build a custom course or lesson template. So that's where we're starting. Um, the way it works now with the classic editor where, which we have in a couple of places, but not as many as you might think, our system's going to be unaffected by it. It's because we're using blocks more as a tool for templating and, you know, creating content within certain areas. But if you want to install the classic editor plugin, you're just not going to have the ability to build custom course and lesson templates, which you can already do now with Beaver Builder, Elementor, Divi, all the other stuff. So in our specific use case, I'm not that worried about it, but I'm open to running into an issue that I ha- we haven't foreseen. And we'll, we, we'll adapt to that. At the end of the day, if we have to, you know, support a couple paths on the journey, it's while inconvenient, that would not be the end of the world for us, especially because a lot of our Stuff is built from the ground up around the needs of the course creator. So, for example, our quiz system is not your traditional post type. It's designed to be really simple. We're not using the classic editor all over the place like you may do in some other plugins. So it's really only in a couple places that we would have to maintain dual compatibility. Although 
I don't think it's going to be a problem to begin with. Now, you um, you attended, you know, you supported and helped organise and attended a recent WordCamp. What yeah. was the gen? What was the general vibe about Gutenberg and some of the concerns about um, everything? Did you talk to quite a few people and did Gutenberg come up in the conversation quite a lot? Yeah, it did. I mean, there was a Gutenberg panel, but mostly the angle was a lot more just curiosity than fear or concern. Now that could be naivete, because I feel like a lot of this Gutenberg stuff is really top of mind in the conversations of insiders in the, who are pretty close to the WordPress project. But as far as the general public, I don't think that they're... I think it's a lot of it just comes from because it's not even really real yet. It's hard to have a lot of conversation about something that doesn't really exist. But when you go inside the people participating in the betas and, you know, who have plugins and themes and everything, then it's a part of the conversation. But I would say the general WordCamp audience is curious, but not fearful. And I think these measures in terms of the hosting companies, maybe not auto updating and having ability to just stay with classic ad- editor, roll back to it you know, kind of squelches any fears. But, you know, that could be naivete. I don't know. Time will tell. We'll find out in 9.5 days. Yeah, I just want to finish off before we... And I'm just going to let Morton respond after I've just said this. But then hopefully we can move on to story two. Is that I I personally think um, it's very regrettable and also not very respectable to um, allow people to contribute a lot of time voluntarily of their time and their passion and encourage passion for a project and then um, kind of sell it in a certain way. And then when it's not convenient, you just say, well, that was never the play story from day one and you're you're being obstreperous or difficult because uh, um, you don't feel that things have been done in the right way. And I think it's very... It's very unfortunate and, um, you know, hopefully some fences can be mended, but it doesn't seem to be much active encouragement for that point of view. Um, Got any last thoughts, Morton? WordPress, WordCamp US is going to be really interesting. (laughs) That's my comment. Like, all the people that are super angry are going to be in the same place at the same time. It's, I mean, Yoast is basically burning. I'm tempted to buy a ticket there just to watch. <laughs> it's going to be like that scene in Anchorman where they have the the fight between yeah. all the Anchorman with like the chains and the machine guns and everything else. I finally convinced my boss. I'm like, you have to come to WordCamp US. It's such an important thing to see how great the community is and how everyone is working together and everything. And it's like, uh, actually, this one might be like a huge fight or it might be super tense. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure Matt will deal with it in the normal, calm and courteous way that he Yeah. <coughs> moving on. Yeah, Instagram moving on. pets, right? No, on to Google. CTR in 218, paid organic and non-click searches. And it's from Rand again. But, but um, John, what do you think are some of the key points in this article that we should know about? Some of the key points... Um Definitely. Google is always uh, experimenting with stuff. And a lot of times you're seeing like what they call position zero results where there's uh, rich snippets. They'll, They'll take a piece of a page and put it up there. Uh, that's contributing to no click results. A lot of times too, uh, say if it's election results or sports scores or the weather, things like that, where if you do searches for certain things, they'll just have the information up there and it's not a page. It's Google actually putting the information up there. Um, I'm not really that worried about, you know, no zero click searches going up or down because in my opinion, a lot of the ones that you're seeing where there's there's no click searches it's not really things that you would be monetizing anyway i mean and maybe that's my opinion i think a far greater threat would be what google is doing with adwords 
And what I mean by that is when you do a search, you'll usually see AdWords at the top of the page and the bottom of the page before you ever get to organic results. And I think right now for, for some searches, there, there might be like three or four AdWords. And it used to be that they had uh, a little yellow box where it would say ad to where it was really clearly labeled that, hey, this is AdWords. This is not an organic search result. But now they've changed the little ad display to where it's uh, just a green outlined box and it's the same color as the URL to kind of camouflage it to where these ads basically look indistinguishable from regular search results. I think that's a far more insidious thing to worry about than zero-click results. And the reason why is there's a lot of things that you can't do without clicking through. Like if you're trying to buy a product, if you're you know trying to get in-depth information on something, then a couple-sentence excerpt is not going to tell you what you need. So I think it's just an evolution. Um, I, I'm not super concerned about it. I, I think you yeah, should try um, and get rich snippets, but yeah. Yeah, I've got, I've got what you're saying. I'm going to throw this over to Spencer, but I just want to put this generally out before I throw it over to Spencer. Is that um, what interested me about the article is that it's not only my theory, and I'll be interested, is in, in the... Um, in the building up of a company, no matter what size it is, for it to be successful initially, it, it has to fulfill a need, a want from its customer base. And depending how broad its audience needs and wants, will will control how successful that business will be. Uh, and then it, it develops further products to satisfy further needs and wants of its audience. And there's a duality of, of the companies getting more, making more money and satisfying its audience needs and wants, right? But I think then um, it runs out of products to actually <coughs> develop um, or develop its existing products. But if it gets to a certain size, it's a, it's a monopoly. And when it gets to a certain trigger point, it no longer... It needs to generate more money, but it, it hasn't got the, it no longer has the, I'm looking, struggling for the right word, it can no longer develop any more products. So it looks at other ways of generating more money, which aren't so beneficial to its audience. Is that making any sense, making any sense Spencer, or am I totally waffling on? Google's Dango ate your baby. <laughs> just saying. It, it's run out of ideas. Well, I agree with your premise, if I understand your premise to be that Google has effectively started to see the end of what its original purpose was, which is why I'm here to admit publicly that I'm in a polyamorous relationship. I live with three sexy girls all the time. Siri, Echo, and don't say it, Alexa. <laughs> She's listening to me. And here's the deal. The deal is that it won't be long until I have to make a choice over which of these gals I move in with permanently. Oh, oh dear. You know, you know why? Because their pimps, which is really Google or Alexa, are going to make it that I don't need to be bothering with typing stuff in on a browser unless I want to go back to the good old days. Instead, what's going to be happening is they say, hey, girl, what is this thing that I need to know? And she will say it, show it, send it to my phone, do whatever. I'm playing right now with iOS, whatever, Coco Blow or whatever it is, version that allows me to do stuff on my phone that shows up on the browser, on the browser, on my phone. And then it also combines in some weird, cool new ways where I can ask a question and it shows up. The days of going to a screen and typing are shrinking, in my opinion. And when that happens, you're going to have to deal with one pimp and one girlfriend that's your main squeeze for somebody heard me calling. That's going to be the way you're going to get your stuff. And so I see the idea of us, let's look through a list of stuff that came up like circa 1997. Those days are coming down. And now it's going to be like, just tell me what I want to know. Show me what I want to know. You know me better than I know myself. Give it to me before I ask for it. 
that's where this is all going. So kind of like the days where the horse and buggies were dwindling off to cars and people discuss what's the best poop catcher for your horse. And people are like, I don't care. I have a car. Well, I don't really care that much about SEO anymore because as I've said so many times, again, not saying sticking a thumb in John's eye, but just that I think SEO is one of many strategies, but it has to evolve into something that's reflective of people now get their stuff by word of mouth. They get it through social share. They get it through other means like this. And we're going to have to deal with the fact that a lot of this is going to come down one channel. Do you connect to your Facebook device, your Amazon device, your Google device, or maybe an alternative, like maybe Gabriel Weinberg will go into the, you know. I don't, I see, where, I see where you're going, but there was actually another article that was thinking of being part of this discussion and I chose to choose it, which was saying that voice to voices, the bells are bottomed out, actually. Um, so I'm not totally bought by your argument, but I see where you're coming from. What do you reckon, Chris? Google's mission is to organize the world's information and, you know, make it easier for you to find stuff. So the fact that these type of search results are showing up at the top, I think is really good for the end user, which is the most important thing. And I think it's a natural business cycle for something that was innovative at one time to become a commodity later. So if content creators need to evolve and adapt their value proposition, I think that's just a natural evolution of business and, um, you know, what the innovation is. So, yeah, and they're, they're, they still are providing the link back to the original source site. So if that little snippet, if there's more to follow, breadcrumbs of the, you know, there's more value on the source <laughs> website, people can still get there. But I do just find it interesting just watching the industry evolve. And I do like the feature as a user. What do you reckon, Moulton? About the ad thing? No, about the article. Yeah, the. I just there's an article that. um, Yeah, I saw you. Wired published in 2013, where they talk about how eventually we won't like ads and search will merge to the point where instead of having, instead of having. The web as we know it today will have this live stream thing going on where the search engines and the ad networks just know what we want and will automatically serve it up to us so we don't actually do any searching on our, of our own. And then they talk about how dangerous this is because we're basically locking ourselves into a thing where we get a curated stream of information that is curated by engines that have other desires than we do in that they just want us to click on more ads. And they, and I think what we're seeing here is just that happening slowly. I mean, Spencer's examples of, isn't Alexa and Echo the same thing, dude? They're yeah, I just, thing. I have the, I have the yeah. big girl and the small girl. <laughs> oh, like that's what you mean. Okay. Yes, yes, the polyamorous, right. But the, um, the this, this, this notion of search being unbiased is just gone, right? There is no such thing as uns- unbiased search unless you go to something like Alta Vista <laughs> or DuckDuckGo or, you know, don't use the internet or something. Because, um, I mean, uh, bias in search actually goes down to ISP level. So if you're in a country with poor regulation, your data might be impacted by it. See net neutrality, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so... All these things are were predicted, are happening. It's not surprising. It's just sad. I mean, this ties into Tim Berners-Lee that was at uh, web, web Directions or something like that this week and talked about how we have to take the web back, that the web has become this monster that's controlled by corporations that are just trying to make money off us and, and using humans as a way of making money rather than actually doing what the web is supposed to do. It's true. We're... We've we fucked this up. We need to unfuck it. Video. We're gonna go. We're gonna go for our break, folks. We'll be back in a few moments. Do you want to spend more time making money online? Then use WP Tonic as your trusted WordPress developer partner. They will keep your WordPress website secure and up to date, so you can concentrate on the things that make you money. Examples of WP Tonic's client services are landing pages, page layouts, widgets, updates, and modifications. WP Tonic is well known and trusted in the WordPress community. They stand behind their work with full, no question asked, 30 day money back guarantee. So don't delay. Sign up with WP Tonic today. That's wp tonic.com. 
just like the podcast. We're coming back. We've had a passionate discussion and a couple of stories. Well, the last one wasn't so passionate, but put that down to me. It was resigned. Yeah, I, I was gonna. I was gonna discuss story three, but I think story three, the WordPress WooCommerce flaws combined to allow website. I, I think that's a bit of a. That was yeah. I'm gonna drop that one. Let's go on to number story number four. Uh, um, stop monthly newsletters. Learn how to make the most of your email list. Uh, what did you think of this one, Spencer? Because I thought it was down your alley, really. Yeah, Tom, it's, I mean, marketing automation is my bag, baby. And the whole point is we don't want to be extremely creepy to the point of the Minority Report movie where everything we show a person lets us, let them see that we're, you know, peering in their window. But we want to make it personalized enough of a journey that we don't waste their time and that we keep their attention. And I think this is an example of it. Kind of the same version of what we were just talking about with an older technology solved the pain point before and it evolved. Well, email lists and drip email campaigns, all that came about from like, wow, look, we can do this thing of keeping in touch with people. But guess what? Every million other people are doing the same thing. So now everybody's email box is filled with this drivel. So if you're going to use the mailing capability, you have to understand almost like a a pinpoint target. Why am I sending this message to a certain person at a certain time? And I think they address some of the key points. But the takeaway is don't waste your friend's time by just calling up. Hi, it's Spence. What are you doing? Hey, are you eating dinner? What are the kids doing? Just call when you need something or you need to let them know that something's important to take action. But don't waste their time with just, hey, this is what I'm doing today. What are you up to? Because that's kind of what email newsletters are in 2018. All right. So, um, Chris, you, 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 I'm right because I think we discussed it. You don't do a monthly newsletter. Um, was that, you know, you made that choice. Um, was that a conscious choice? You just didn't think it was worth the resources doing? Yeah, I was actually thinking of starting one, though. But um, <laughs> <laughs> the reality is I have uh, probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 150 emails that spread out over a year divided across three segments and then a bunch of personalization within that. So that means that not one person is getting 150 emails. It depends where they're at on the buyer's journey or, you know, just doing researching or purchasing or onboarding, wherever they're at and they can switch in the flow midstream. But basically the name of the game is segmentation and then personalization. So those are two different things. Um, but yeah, I think that's just the mo- it's the, I think the key here and I think Spencer's really good at this is how do you do that without creating a rat's nest of chaos and tags that you got to have a strategy. So if you're going to go down this road, you need to have a strategy. I've burned down my entire funnel 3 times and I'm getting ready to do it again because every time I learn something and I learn how to segment better. I learn how to personalize better. I learn how to work through time for, in four dimensions better. Because you can't, things are changing. Attention is the main um, commodity or value that a marketer is going for. And if you're not relevant, you're not going to get attention. And if you don't have attention, you're just blend into the, all the noise out there. So I think this is a great article. And I just think it's easier said than done, though. And the most important thing is to have a strategy. Yeah, I, I um, before I throw it over to John or Morton, I just think like lots of things online, it's um, it's become a lot more competitive. So if you're going to do a monthly newsletter, you really, really need to hopefully have it targeted at the right audience, and or you, if it's a multi-layer audience, you haven't preened your list and segmented it. Um, you've got to make sure you're, you know, it does offer. Um, value in some way. Um, basically, you just got to up your game, you know, because it's the reality is it's a, a very competitive area. What do you reckon, Morton? Uh, question: How many of you derive value from newsletters you're currently subscribing to? I see where you're what coming. What kind from? of newsletters are you subscribing to that you derive value from? What is the content of those newsletters? It's product updates. Uh-huh. Spencer? The only ones that I get value of, and I'll tell you, it's a double-edged sword, are those that inform me in a summary format 
of maybe three to five things that I want to look at on a Sunday. If I get that email other than on a Sunday, I lose my shit because it's one more thing that I have to deal with. But there's one in particular that I get on Sundays. I don't know why he sends it then. And it's perfect because I'm still lounging around and I can get to it. But right now, I feel like all the other newsletters just immediately stress me out. It's just too much stuff that I can't absorb. I just want to say I really like the post status newsletter, which is a summary one on a very targeted niche group of people. Yeah. Right. I get Farnham Street blog, which is the other one. It's some things to read on a Sunday that are thoughtful. But the other ones that I get, even like Product Hunt, which I love, I, f- I freak out. It's like, oh, shit, there's, one more, there's five more things I got to go look at today. And I just put it in the bin. So. So the reason I'm asking is the idea of a newsletter is not a bad one. The, this idea that you can get people to subscribe to a feed, it's just like a blog, except people get your blog in their inbox so they can read it wherever they want, right? It's just text, whatever. The problem is uh, the way that we've been telling, like the way that our community has been telling people who own websites to market their content is to say, a key is to sign- get people to sign up for a newsletter and then just pepper them with content. And the majority of newsletters are junk. They are exactly the same as the spam you get in your post box. We have a red sticker on our post box, so we don't get any of that crap. The problem is a lot of services, they're like, you need to sign up for a newsletter to get a 10% discount. And then they just pummel you with garbage. Like I once signed up for a newsletter, like I often do this, I'll sign up for a newsletter to get a 10% discount at some random store. And then I'll immediately unsubscribe because I'm like, I don't actually want this garbage in my inbox. But there, there's a disconnect between the purpose of a newsletter as in we want to communicate valuable information to our clients and get them to actually have some value from this. And a newsletter is just a marketing tool to pummel people with information. And the majority of newsletters I see just make the mistake of misunderstanding the purpose. And therefore, people are starting to just hate newsletters outright. And this article talks about this idea of like the monthly newsletter or the weekly newsletter where you have like a cadence to it that only works it only has value if it actually has value to the end user, right? If it's just marketing, then it has no value. The only marketing newsletter that has any value to me is a specific band that I follow. And the newsletter they have just gives me access to early tickets because Ticketmaster is like the most corrupt system in the world. So the only way to get any tickets to an event is to be on their newsletter list. And the only thing they send out is we are at this city at this time Here's the link to buy a ticket right now. Everything else is junk to me. Do you, do you guys still get in the physical mail? I get almost zero mail. The only thing I get in the mail, I have no idea how they can kill so many trees, are those you know, paper coupon things. They're like a newspaper, but it's all coupons that I, I, just, I can't believe the volume of paper that's being sent out in 2018 still because that just goes right from there right into the recycle like three times a week. And I yeah, ask the mailman. You're too you young. Stop. He says, no, I can't stop giving you that because we don't have a red dot thing for that. They just have to deliver it. That's Yeah, it's because you're too young. They're targeting an older uh, demographic for that. It still works, but it'll phase itself out. Well, he's, got his free la- he's got his free ladies, hasn't he? So I'm, 20, I'm 26 times he's got, two. He's got his whole, times two. <laughs> second time around. Of, you know, uh, um, so, but uh, the point I was, before I throw it over to John to finish off, is that um, I was um, interviewing a copywriter yesterday and she's quite successful. And she uh, recently, about six months ago, um, sends out a daily email to her audience, her extensive audience. And I was thinking to myself, God, the last thing I would want is a daily email from anybody. Uh, um, but she said it increased her engagement. And all. she had a few people unsubscribe. But her actual engagement from her list increased by 100%, quite a lot. So it kind of, you know... It would appear, you know, I said, do you offer an option where you just get a monthly one? She's no, I haven't done that. And I thought to myself, I just, from anybody. Lessons. If, you, if she every day re-engaged with lessons, like I had a website that was my personal project, the Strike Pilot, went down. I had to start over. I took a list that had 5,000 people and I pummeled them with daily videos that were the kind of stuff that they had asked for. The list went down to 2,700. But now at 2,700, I now I'm laying off because it was a filter for a specific purpose. Like, here's a new video. Here's a new video. Here's a new video. This is the new stuff we're making because it was off. And I was intentionally trying to annoy the heck out of the, you know, slackers because if you're just going to like 
never open it, I don't want to see it anyway. And for that purpose, I think it's still useful, but it goes to Martin's point, which is that's not just like, hey, what's going on? It's like, I want to know if you want this and this and this because it's new. And if you want it, then you stay. And if you don't, okay, better that we don't talk this way. What do you reckon, John? Yeah, I was just going to riff on your last point. Uh, Your guest, Jonathan Stark, uh, that we had on uh, last year, he does a daily newsletter and I actually find it quite valuable. And it's, uh, he just riffs on ideas, gives you a little tidbit each day. Um, so to this article, I was in a meeting this week with, uh, one of my clients with the sales and marketing team and they just hired like a a new sales manager and he was showing me some stuff that he did at his last company to grow it. And it was a series of email ads and he was showing me the numbers like the open rates and the click rates and they kind of just went down over time. And he said, how do we, you know, you know, what's your opinion? Like, how would you improve this? I said, would you find this valuable? <laughs> because they're just coupons. They're basically just coupons. Um, and we sat down and, and the, the bunch of us, we were talking about the content strategy, social strategy, email strategy for this coming year for, for this company. And I think if you're going to do an email newsletter, it can't just be about sales hundred percent of the time it has to be about education. It has to be about making that customer, that um, person that signed up for your list, a better version of themselves. Obviously they're interested in your product, whatever it, it offers, but you have to understand like their core need and everything that, that centers around that, you know, how does their product, you know, help you improve your life? And then just brain dump, you know, all the, the, the things around that, that they're going to want to know, like in pre-sales and all the things they're going to want to know once they have your product, how, how they can use that. And these things are what you can use to, you know, put together an email sequence or uh, a content strategy that you send out on email. I think that's the way that you make a newsletter valuable. Yep, I, I totally agree. And I think Morton's gone off to collect his mail. Uh, um, so he's uh, um, the postman. He's probably sharing out the postman now. Let's go on to um, this in these last two stories. But um, why do all websites look the same? This really. Um, clicked something in me because um, I think w- when I got into web design, it was very creative. It's become very stale and boring in some ways. What, what do you reckon about this one, Chris? I think the, it really flipped when we went mobile because I started out in you know web design as a project manager, as a freelance project manager for a company. And I remember the way we were used to build websites. We would start with a designer who didn't know code. And it was like an artistic experience that where it was literally a blank canvas. Whereas now, and especially like mobile responsive design is kind of hard because the whole thing has to break apart and look good on small screens. So all of a sudden these like pictures you would have on the wall that like you had a lot of real estate to work with. Now you have like a lot less. So we, and then we got into columns and things needed to stack and be readable as they shrink down and everything. It just got more challenging. And then you have the advent of the page builders and, you know, then like all the add-ons for page builders that have templates pre-done like modules and rows and entire templates and even entire websites uh, and demo content that you could import with your theme and everything. So it's really cool and democratizing because it gave people, non-designers, the ability to build a nice-looking website. But I think that's where it really flipped. And it's, I think the role of the modern designer, in some ways I felt like they've had a lot of challenges over the past several years because um, not a lot of people see the value as apparently when they can, they see all these great looking like templates for the page builders or whatever that they don't, they don't see the value and therefore they miss out on the artistic iteration between a good designer and a good business owner or project lead. Um, 
So it's become kind of bland in that way. So I think there's a lot of opportunity for us to get back to, to good design or, and truly unique sites and also attack the challenge that is mobile. I think there's, there's a lot of room for innovation and creativity there. Um, I just think the challenge of it is that takes a bigger budget for that website yeah. or a highly skilled designer. I think you made some fantastic points there, Chris, which I totally agree with, actually. I think it was linked to mobile. And I think it won't change for the foreseeable future, but there's going to be a tipping point where people that do have the budget, they will see the value of having a full... There's going to be a divergence between highly expensive sites where people do invest because they will see it will be thing that will... Uh, make them separate from the herd. Uh, um, so it's the middle ground that's going to be semi-destroyed, but you're, you're, you're going to have it the do-it-yourself, the template crowd, and then you have those that invest in true uh, process and custom design. That's what I think. I think Spencer thinks I'm talking crap, I can tell. Spencer, what do you think? Once upon a time, there was a little company from named Macromedia that invented something called Flash. And it was amazing. And then the web discovered it. And all of a sudden, if you wanted to order Chinese food, you had to go and take a nap while the Flash website loaded. I was one of those Flash designers, actually. We all were. Then there's another little company called MySpace, who by some hook or crook made a little boo-boo that allowed the individual page owners to do their own designs. And were they lovely? Were they lovely? <laughs> Lo and behold, 13-year-old girls from New Jersey were making a million dollars a year selling tchotchkes to other people to put on their MySpace pages. But guess what? The same argument about, you know, my mistress controlling the internet is true. When everybody needs to get the stuff officially, as Chris so rightfully said, now it's, look, here's the boxes, pour your shit into the boxes, call it a day. And personally, I'm going with my earlier comment, which is I'd rather have a question that I ask of my girlfriend uh, electronically to get my stuff than to go back to waiting 30 minutes so somebody's Van Gogh version of their web page can load for me. Because personally, I don't want to go there. I don't come to the internet to see somebody's piece de resistance. All right. And that's what I think the bottom line is. We Facebook won because it wasn't MySpace. And by the way, I have this cool electronic device. Have you guys ever seen this? It's called an iPhone. I think there's a trillion of them now. And guess what? They all look the same because having the same shit in the same spot makes it easy to actually do business with it. So that's my take. My take is great article, funny as hell to read. We're not going back there. It's not going to happen. Oh, well, you might be right. I I think like a lot of... Where do you go? I'm not going with you. Uh, um, well, like a lot of things you say, I think you, there's a lot of truth in what you say, but I, uh, I think you push it to the outer limit. But there we go. What do you reckon, Bolton? I missed everything, so apologize. There was some oh. crazy stuff happening on the yeah, front sure. of my house. Right. Um, house. Baby and mailman and combinations of I things. I thought it was the mailman. It was, first, uh, it was first Leo getting into the car and then the mailman trying to break my door. Exactly. Um, okay. So this article is interesting in context. Um, There's a sentence in there that's highlighted as a block quote that says, one of the fundamental principles of design is a deep and meaningful connection between form and content. Um, That is interesting because there's a couple of things that are happening right now. One is that there's this very strong drive towards AI-generated design. Um, there are a lot of services that are that are selling some form of AI. Like I hate the use of the term AI because it's not in any way AI, but machine learning yeah. design, right? Or some sort of uh, computer augmented template based thing. Um, and uh, it's I actually I actually don't exist. I'm just an AI. Yeah, a sure. Uh, poor, poorly rendered excuse for a human being. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> uh, thank, you, thank you for your kind words. <laughs> the, uh, There's quite they, a few people with a say that to me, actually. <laughs> no, you're a wonderful person, Jonathan. I'm just, I'm just joking. That yeah. so. Um, there, there are several companies now that are selling services where you basically I don't actually care fuck actually what people say about me. Actually, I don't care. <laughs> well, that derailed quickly. Right. So. 
there are a bunch of companies that are selling some form of service where you just upload content and then it automatically designs some sort of experience around it. And right now it's very much based on like, oh, this looks cool. But then you can see how with semantic understanding of content that's being developed for both images and text and everything else, you can see a time in the future where computers will actually be able to derive the meaning of content enough that they'll be able to design things that accommodate what the content is, right? Like put the right kind of colors, hues on it, position things properly. That is all possible. Next to that, there's this huge conversation going on in the web community. Um, There was a talk at a conference, I think yesterday or the day before, that was tweeted a lot, where there was a person talking about how more and more designers are designing for designers, which is something that happens in design in general. Like you go to a design school, I teach at a design school, the majority of design I see is like, oh, wow, design for designers. This has no value to real people, right? Because it's like, it's so abstract and weird. And what you're seeing that, for example, with all these demos of what you can do with CSS Grid, it's like, oh, great, you made this unreadable page that no one will actually enjoy reading. But it's really cool technically. Stop doing that because it's not great, right? And, and you're seeing a lot of this, like if you go to one of those sites, like we love WP or something like that, almost all the sites that are featured are portfolio sites for designers because the only place designers get to really play are on their own portfolio sites. But then that becomes the standard. It's like, oh yeah, you have to do all this crazy shit. But then it's like, no, this is, this is just to showcase skill. It's not actually valuable to uh, a real business, right? So you have AI or the machine learning component of it. You have the design for designers component of it. And then you have the very real situation, which Spencer was talking about, that we are moving off screens very quickly. Um, so, and then at the same time, you have all these tools like Pocket and the new reader in Firefox and everything like that, which just throws out your design and gives you just the text or even reads the text back to you in a voice, right? That's where we're going. So this idea of design, the way we're thinking about it now is very quickly uh, running out the clock. And it's funny because Gutenberg is trying to solve this problem for WordPress, right? And Gutenberg is coming too late. Like it's, it's going to be, Gutenberg is going to be fully functional with all the crazy features they have in like three or four years by the time no one is using the web the way we're doing now anymore, right? Which is unfortunate. Um, so uh, I agree with the whole notion here that design is boring right now and everything looks the same and everyone b- builds the same three websites. The reality is by the time we get around to doing this differently, we'll probably not be designing for screens anyway. So whatever, <laughs> honestly. Yeah, I'm gonna Design your content. Yeah, Design your content to make good content and then to hell with what it looks like. Right, fair enough. Um, I'm going to let John... I'm just going to put this to you, John. Um, I'm kind of torn between Chris and what Morton and Spencer have said. You know, let's take the most, one of the most profitable companies at the present moment, Apple. Do you think Steve Jobs didn't care about design and functionality? And wasn't that one of the major reasons why Apple recovered and became the, the mammoth that it has? So is there a middle ground between the what me and um, Chris thinks and what Walton and Spencer thinks? Yeah, I think there's a middle ground. Uh, like you, I came into web design when a lot of the old guard were still being creative. Uh, the CSS Zen Garden was still a thing. Uh, and browsers were being able to support some of the newer things like CSS3 at the time. And since then, I think we really have gotten into good enough design, which in part has been brought on by WordPress templates and, and uh, a a lot of kind of, you know, samey looking design, which is not a terrible thing because I think the overall quality of sites on the web has come up because of that. I think it'll be interesting to see uh, what happens as browsers continue to support new things. I think there is a place for creativity. I, I see pockets of the web and some sites here and there that still try and do creative things because I think it is a differentiator when you have something that is a little bit interesting uh, that displays content in a way that's not the same as everybody else. And I I think there is a place for being distinctive. And I think it does separate you from the rest of the pack. So Yeah, because isn't it fundamentally John Branding? Yes. 
Absolutely. The branding. Let's, let's finish off quickly, but I think I was tempted to make this story one, actually, because I actually think it's the best story we're going to do, <laughs> actually. Uh, um, so off we go. All right. How to make your dog Instagram favours, according to our manager for pet influencers. What do you reckon, Spencer? Do you reckon I should give up all this shit about WordPress and get my dachshund and hounds and become a celebrity? Wasn't there the guy... Uh, there was a story a couple years ago about the guy who has the angry cat. It's a fat mm. cat and it's angry. Grumpy cat. Grumpy and cat. What is it called? Grumpy, Grumpy cat. cat. Grumpy cat. I don't know what the numbers were, but there was that and there was another dog. I think it was a pug. There's like at least three animals. Yeah, the dog that's like. Right. The yeah. ugly dog. I, I had a, by the way, anybody who wants to go check out, I had a dog and I have a website that I put up in 1990 something called hairlessdog.com. And the reason was I had a hairless terrier and I would walk the dog I was single at the time. And was he hairless because he was so every, you? Every, I was allergic to dogs. But everybody would stop me and go, ew, what's that? You know, what is that? So I finally got sick of it. I made cards and I had a website. I said, here, go check it out. Point being, there's at least three dogs in the modern world that I know of, or three animals, that are making seven-figure incomes for their owners. If you can find a dog that is your lassie, Jonathan, then I say, Hasta la vista, baby. I'll come visit you in Malibu because I think this is great. This is the world we live in. I have two teenagers and one of them is interested. One thing, one thing. I say the world is a skills world and it's a gimmick world. If you can find an audience of people who love your chihuahua enough to pay you ungodly sums of money, don't work. Use the chihuahua, get retired, and have fun with your life because you only live once. So I think it's awesome. I'm a fan of cool style. Hand. Sally, I hear, is on the road to retirement right now. Yeah, she, could, she could give up web design, just have to farm out the cats, couldn't she? What do you reckon, Chris? Are you, going, are you going pet friendly, are you? I think we've seen this before, if we go back to our childhood with the dog Lassie. Right. Uh, before I got into tech, I was actually, I lived in Alaska and I worked with sled dogs and ran sled dogs up there. And when that movie, uh, Eight Below or Snow Dogs and all this stuff, sent millions and millions and millions of dollars of Alaska for people to Alaska to spend money um, because they fell in love with the idea of these dogs. So I think the, um, the concept of the rider and the elephant, the rider being our logical brain and the elephant being our emotional brain, pets just control the elephant. They get inside of our emotional brain and it, people are just predictably irrational and just moved emotionally by animals, especially like cute ones or quirky ones and everything. So it just makes total sense to me. I'm looking forward when the artificial intelligence takes over the world. I, I'm looking forward to become a machine's pet. You know, that'd be quite, you know, I think that's, I think that's going to be the end of human. That is going to be the fate of humanity. We're going to be, um, artificial intelligence creatures, pets. What do you reckon, Morton? Uh, you're you're they, totally pissed off with this story. No, like, yeah. if you're going to have an influencer on any kind of social media, I'd rather it be an animal than a human being. Because <laughs> at least the animal isn't, like, aggressively marketing stuff in the same way. You're I talking mean, about American politicians. The, the dogs and the cats and everything, they, they generally market branded content around the dogs and the cats and everything. Like you can buy the pug stuffed animal on the grumpy cat t-shirt and right. And that's what they're all trying to do. They're trying to get these marketing campaigns around the brand. Like there's that famous dog with a very tight haircut. I forget what it's called. That looks like a stuffed animal. Um, right, right. And I am actually fine with that because they're kind of animal celebrities. My issue is less with animal influencers than with human influencers because human influencers make me want to barf. Have you noticed Adam from WP Crafty? He hasn't been on the show for a while, but he's got he's gone pet crazy, hasn't he? He's got a pet dog now. And so there, uh, there, there is an interesting, like, there, I forget, what was it? Was it, um, uh, what's that podcast called? Reply All had an episode about these um, pet owners on in, on YouTube who are YouTubers, you know, the famous YouTubers everyone follows that um, talk about pets and they have like a hundred cats and dogs and everything. And they're like, oh, look at this iguana I just bought. And now look at the cow that I now have in my house. Um, and it's 
it's really crazy. Like when you listen to it, you're like, oh my God, this is like YouTube has turned humans into basically just marketing machines where they don't have a life anymore. They're just like accumulating new pets and competing with other people on who can have the most pets in their apartment just to be famous. Um, so I, I, per, I prefer the, you know, the person who decided to have a possum as a pet and then was like, I'm going to take pictures of how good of an idea this is and put it on Instagram. That's the kind of pet influencer I'm looking for, right? They can market like possum hats and other things, possum related. I, I always name so them. If you want to watch one, there's one on Instagram called avec.possum. It's absolutely worth following. Um, but was- yeah, yeah. If you're going to have an influencer in the house, make sure it's your pet. Make sure it's one pet. And uh, good luck with that. There we go. What do you reckon, John, to finish off? Uh, make this really quick. Baby goats of Twitter, uh, cats of Mastodon, and Benji was the greatest animal star of all time. Right. Fight me. Benji. That's it. That's it. We're finishing off with a highlight, Pet City, folks. So we'll see you next week for another WP Tonic Roundtable show next Friday. See you soon, folks. Bye. Peace. Thanks for listening to WP Tonic, the podcast that gives you a spoonful of WordPress medicine twice a week.